what people want to see is they want to see that you you can execute. That's what people want to see. All these people come in and say, hey, I have to do a million, two, three, five million dollars raise, and then you don't hit it, what happened, right? You lose credibility. If you're going to go deal source, set proper expectations, right? They had multifamily brought it. They set proper expectations, brought a deal. And here's where it at. Laid it right in the lap. Had a great executive summary. This is what we need from you guys. Done, right? They made our life simple and hopefully it feelings mutual, right? And so when you make it easy for your sponsors, it, it makes it easy for them to want to work for you as well. But the quickest way, man, raise three, four, five hundred, put it into a deal, get in, look and see how they're asset managing, look and see how they're operating, ask how you can help out. Get involved without, without expectation. Welcome to the Lion's Den, the real estate podcast for perspicacious investors who know they have the strength to succeed in the lucrative commercial multifamily industry. Gain expert advice on your way to becoming a top performer. I'm your host, Adam Parrish. I have my three co-hosts, Donald Callahan, Bia Mosley, and Lisa Parrish. How are you three doing? Great. Awesome. I'm so excited to have our guest today. The conundrum of today's episode. How do I set proper expectations and get into deals faster? Our special guest today has over 20 years of experience in the multifamily space. Beginning with a focus on single-family flips, he has now evolved into a portfolio of multifamily assets worth over $385 million, consisting of over 3,500 units spanning over five different states. He is a proficient underwriter, which has been critical in mitigating risks, identifying opportunities, developing strategic operating plans, and optimizing overall investor returns. We are delighted to have the phenomenal managing partner of MF Capital Partners, Brian Woolley. Oh, thank you. We need one of those chair things that goes off in the background. Wait, you didn't, you didn't say the Ryan Woolley. Oh, the Ryan Woolley. Love it. You know, you're going to go plop a title series. I'll edit in a the, or the. Ryan, what is the word of the day? Integrity. Good one. You have a definition? Some people oh. don't know what that means. Well, yeah. Donato, Donato, Donato is a walking dictionary. What's the definition? Yeah, what is the definition? That's said the practice of speaking truthfully without reservation or malice in your mind, heart, or soul. You just look that up. He looks that up. He looks that up. Interesting. I, that, I just, uh, there's nothing on my screen. It's a Zoom screen. I got nothing else sitting here. That's just from my head. Really? Yes. Ryan. Some new syndicators may have team goals of buying and holding 100 units and then retiring. Some dare to shoot for the stars and aspire to 1,000 units in their first year. From your experience, how do you set proper expectations in multifamily? Oh boy, that's a good one. That's a good one. So, okay, I want to make sure I understand the question. 100 units, right? Some want to get 100 units and then some, some set goals of 1,000 units, I think, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, in their first year. Man, pack a lot, right? Pack a lot. That's a lot for us. Ranges. A lot for us, man, in a year. It is. I mean, we've done that a couple years, I mean, two years in a row or something. It's a lot of work, even for an an experienced team. I would say, listen, what are you trying to accomplish, right? Quality of life, or you want to balance? Most people don't want a thousand units. What they're looking at is, they're looking at the money, really, is the money comes first. They're not looking at being structurally sound. I'll tell you this, some of the best things that Lisa and, and our team did, right, with GLP and MSCP, I was at Lisa, right, but 
GLP. <laughs> I had Adam's voice, GLP. Right? So, <laughs> wait, but we define roles, right? Like, what are the roles? Who, who does what, right? It was just seamless. It was seamless. But, you know, so we had structure there. I think a lot of people that do the, the thousand look at acquisition fees, they look at the money. What can the money do for them? Where this is a long term game, man. I always look at this. One of our best deals that we ever did was with Cedars. So Cedars is was 128% for some, depending on when they got in, 135% returns to other in just a two-year period. That was a 40-unit deal. So I think that like yeah. second block for expectations is this. So many people, they think I want bigger deals, but when in reality, what is their investor? What do their investors want? Their investors want good returns. That 40 unit turned into what, 415 unit turned into some other ones. That's Quail Ridge now, right? There's, there's a lot of deals that that turned into in the Carolinas with the old man there. And, and so what that did though is, is it creates confidence for people. So many people try to go get a hundred units or a thousand units, whereas they just close on a 40, 50 unit deal. They get confidence. Brokers have confidence in them. Investors have confidence in them. And so I, setting proper expectations and, and getting that first deal done. Sure, man, a thousand units is, is awesome, right? 10,000 units would be great too. I just saw one of our competitors has 6,700 units and it's like, man, it's just a different level, right? It's just more and more as you grow. And yeah, I, mean, I just say, get, get your foundation done first. Get your first deal done first before you think about a thousand. I agree with you. Quality of life this is huge because I, there were some times where I just, I look back and I, I was every vacation with, we went on, I was working. And, and I know that you've dealt with that too, always working on vacation and you can't really, you can't really relax and enjoy your life. So if your, if your goal is financial freedom and all of us, our eventual goal is financial freedom, but sacrificing your health and sacrificing your relationships is not worth it because you end up with a bunch of money with bad relationships or bad health. Now, I, I mean, I, I, I messed up my health. I don't know if that was the cause of my health problems, but it definitely made things worse. And now I'd give up all my money to have my health back. So balance is really important. You can, you can make a lot of money in this business and have the partners and get the structure together. But shooting for the stars, I mean, we all want to shoot for the stars, but, but you have to have that balance. You have to, you have, to have it all. Yeah. And how many people are involved also? You know, if you've only got a couple people, that's one thing, you know, I would imagine like with you were mentioning, you have done a thousand, um, a few years in a row, but you have a whole company now with employees and everything. That's a lot different than just having like three people or four people. Very different, you know, but there was only four of us at, at the beginning, right? I mean, yeah, literally was, we had nobody working for us. No, it was originally we started, believe it or not. So many people get caught up in two or three deals and 40 or whatever. We did one deal at a time. There's this one deal, got it done. Folks on the next deal, got it done. In fact, there were yeah. several times we were like, hey, we're taking a break. And then another yeah. deal fall in our lap and be like, hey, we're going to do it. But it's funny when you said at least that you go, man, we're on vacation, on the phone, knocks up. But I do remember when we were in Maui together and we were at that place getting calamari, a few drinks, right? Yes. Funnest time ever, man. We didn't. It was so fun. Even look at our phones, or we were just sitting there chatting and laughing, and that was a lot of fun. But the, but I think it was because we were with our partners, so yeah. we all kind of let go a little bit. But usually, I, I never wanted to let my partners down, so nobody even knew I was on vacation. Yeah, I'm getting better at that, and that takes practice. But and then the thing is, is like where you guys are now, where you're still growing, 
you have a lot of employees, but as we've talked about, adding, having more employees, for some people that sounds like, oh, that's amazing. We have people to do everything for us, but that's its own set of headaches. So, you know, it adds new headaches because now you're babysitting employees and you guys have, have some amazing employees, but still it's a lot. You know, the more that you've got going on, more people that are involved, the more partners that are involved, the more complications that can happen. So I hate to see students when they are like, I'll, I'll talk to a student who they're looking at their first deal and it's 250 units. And I'm thinking, or I'll tell them, why? Why are you, why do you, why are you shooting for so big? And they'll say, well, because Tyler told us, you know, go, go big or go home, think bigger. And I get that. But you can start, we started with 23 and then, and then we worked our way up. I think you've got to have some kind of a foundation. If you have, if you partner with a, a sponsor that is a mentor that's walking you through it, that's different. So if you're, you know, like with you guys, your first deal was 172 units with a multifamily, but you were working with GLP and MFCP. That's totally different. You can do that because you had experts. If you have an expert that's walking you through, that's different. But I see some of these students, they don't have that expert and they're trying to figure it all out on their own. That's, you'll, you'll, it'll set you way back or it could. Yeah. Anytime we got into a deal, we had strategies, right? Anytime it was 40 units, 122 units. I'll tell you this, you say quality of life. I remember the 122 and 415 that we did together at the same time. And that about killed us, right? I mean, that's, yes. I, I remember I probably cried a few nights. <laughs> it was, and then it was stressful, man. And we did it. We made it work, right? Now, if we could go back and do it differently, would I do differently? Sure. I mean, we learned a lot from it. We literally learned a lot from, in fact, I think it was chapter 13 in the book, or it was going to be chapter 13 in the book. Yeah. Was always still working great. on it. Still working on that book. Still working on the book. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I have to it, retire first. To retire, just retire. Yeah, <laughs> it is uh, the biggest mistake I think students make is they do. They come out of the gates. You said it perfectly there, right? Is when you have two solid sponsors on a deal. I think a shark tank, right? When two shark spots spots are out together, they get they get together and they think down one man. How lucky could they be? But I look at other people. I, I just had this conversation with a student the other day, and I asked, you know, what type of deals they're looking at, and it was like $30, 40 million dollar deals. Awesome. Wow. So let's look at how much it's money. a huge raise. Yes. So I'm like 21 million. So I said, okay, how much, how much can you guys raise? And they went in and they came back to the next week and they told me what to raise. Well, when it comes back down to it, I think the most that they could do is like $8 million. Okay. So when you think about $8 million, I mean, Lisa, you, you've been doing this a long time. That's most a people that get into deals, we all have good intentions on our first deal of like, great, yeah. got this relationship. I've got this. I've got that. Well, the reality is, is it's your first deal. Investors, they want to know that you've had experience as well, right? You've yeah. got to utilize your sponsors and let your sponsors raise for you. Because the reality is, I would think, Lisa, you correct me if I'm wrong. I think that probably it's about 10% of what they say they can raise is about what they'll do. Maybe 20. Some, 20. Some, sometimes less. Sometimes less. Some, right? Sometimes, they, can, sometimes they think they can raise a bunch and they, they really don't need to raise any like, of it. Right. Well, like a hundred thousand out of a million or something pretty typical sure. so it doesn't it's, it's it's crazy to me is like i sit there and think man if you could close on a 40 50 unit deal i would say that every single time close on a 30 40 50 unit deal get it done shoot you're not going to make a whole lot of money what, what did we make on cedars like 40 grand or something like that 50 grand i think it wasn't a whole lot right but man it it jumped us into more deals you guys already had colonial so you already had a big deal under your belt but man that just catapulted into where we're at today. I mean, really over four, almost 400 million in, in assets, you know, so take down a small deal first. That's a big thing Adam, I could say is take down a and small. 
I mean, the small deals also, and I've told a lot of students this, that especially in this type of market, that's where you can actually get some creative financing. There's a lot of smaller deals, mom and pop owners that are overwhelmed and don't know what they're doing. And they would work with you to, because there's a lot less competition in that, in that bracket. So they're going to yeah. have the big investors. Yeah. So I want to ask a follow-up question to Ryan. When setting goals, how important do you think it is to take into consideration market cycles and competition? Boy, man, if you asked me a few years ago, it'd be a different question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> is this an evergreen, is this an evergreen podcast or is it like just say how it is today? Just say how um, it is. Man, you know, here's the thing. Some of you guys are young, right? Adam and, and Donata, Fia, you're so young, right? Lisa and I uh, I'm old. I'm old too, man. I'm old. Um, I'm, old. I'm older than all of you. Come on. Not by much. Not by much. So 2008, right? I mean, we were around in 2008, so we, we saw what happened, right? I mean, it'll be a brief moment. It'll pass. But market cycles, how important is it, is it to choose market cycles and, and competition? Lisa's been doing a lot of time, but we, I mean, we were in the same network together. And really, in today's market, man, you'd be crazy not to go to just stay in tertiary markets, right? I mean, tertiary markets are going to be your best markets mm -hmm. right now. But listen, primary markets will bounce back. They'll bounce back as rates go back down. But who knows? I mean, you're looking at another 12, probably 12, 14 months, maybe 12 to 18 months before you see rates really change. When rates change, then then you can start getting back in the primary market. But right now, you'd be crazy to not to go into tertiary markets. More competitive. Like what Lisa said, you're going to get into more mom and pop places and you'll be able to take those down. So for example, we're looking at this outside of Atlanta. We're getting ready to close next month on a BL. And Atlanta, just it's, it's it's about an hour outside of Atlanta, and it, man, it they 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 reassess taxes every three years. A student brought it to us. It's like one of them is a thirty unit deal, so we're taking out two. One's a thirty unit deal, and the other other one's like it's a hundred and fourteen unit. But this hundred and fourteen, right? There's still opportunity out there. So the competitiveness or picking market, it's really identifying what the weakness in that market is, or or like what's going on with investors. For example, someone came to us and said. Hey, would you get to the Houston market right now? I'd stay the hell away from Houston, a hundred percent. Houston is, it's dark, right? And yeah, I can say dark, right? We can do cigars. Yeah, say say uh, whatever you want. Absolutely. My wife just said I can't say the F word. That's it, right? So you get very. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have anyway. Tyler on that one. But you know, here's the thing: the reality is, like Houston, for example. You've got to look at environmental factors, other things that are going in that market. You've got market rent. Well, it's Houston's always been one of the lowest in market rent. So as, as rates are going up, it's going to affect your your rent growth. I think what Houston's were about five percent in market rent growth. You saw a lot of these new students that went in before when it was 10, 10 and a half, 11 percent in market rent growth, and they were doing their underwriting at like eight, nine, ten percent. So they were capped out. So what happens now? They can't achieve their business plan because they they they, they were aggressive, right? And they wanted to make the numbers work. That's really what it is. They wanted to make the numbers yeah. work. Lisa, I mean, every time we did underwriting, we'd go in, I'd do it. I'd sing over. She'd say, hey, go fix this. I'd go in and fix it. And, and then, so we were always looking at the market of, of if we could achieve it. Is it realistically, could we achieve it? And that's where she comes in. Is not, right? Is, is knowing, can I hit these numbers? And can I not? She has the great relationships with property management. And so she goes, hey, can you guys hit it? Can we hit it? No, Ryan, go change it. If the D, if it works, awesome. If it doesn't work, we we get out of it. So Houston's awful, you know, awful. But just outside of Georgia or outside of Atlanta, this deal they reassess taxes every three years. 
we're picking up a deal right now. It's 30,000 30, a unit under market, but it's deep in foreclosure. They're going to lose. They're losing the deal. Nice. So, oh, oh, you're going to see that a lot. Right. Right. A lot right. of people are going to start. Yeah. Yes, and you've sure. got to look a little bit harder. You've got to work a little harder to find the deals. But I think that when you find the deals, and you especially if you can shake it loose through an actual seller, work directly with seller and not really have a broker in, in between, or that's just one option. But that could give you, there's more money involved. You can save money because you don't have the broker commission. Yeah, no, 100%. I like what you said earlier, though, about you guys doing one deal at a time, because I think when people come into a business and there's a bunch of networks and then there's all this social media. And so it's like, oh, you feel like you have to keep some people don't know this term, but keeping up with the Jones, you know, you feel like, well, everybody, you know, is going to do 100 plus on their first deal or you should be doing multiple deals at once or whatever it might be and it really everybody's different so it's not like really you don't even know where someone's at to be comparing yourself to them like maybe they're selling a hundred single family houses or something i mean you just don't know everybody comes in in a, a different spot so it's good not to compare what you're doing you got to do what's right for you and your team and your people i agree I'll say this with the market competition though, right? Is identifying what your investors want. What do the investors want then? What are their objections? What are they scared of? If you know those answers, right? Then we know where we can pivot. For example, most of them want cash flow. They want security in, in their investment. Going to the Midwest where, you know, rent growth is consistent. It's more of a cash flow market right, rather than equity market. So we've been in the Carolinas. We've been in Texas, Florida. Those, you know, those are more equity markets. They're going to grow a lot faster. A lot of those markets too, like in the Carolinas, you can control your, your expenses. So they reassess every four to eight years in those markets. That's controllable. In Georgia, it's controllable. So if you can control your expenses, you can control your cash flow, right? And so right now we're focused more on like the Midwest because that's what investors want. They want more cash flow and security in that cash flow than they are concerned with equity. A lot of them are calling bullshit on equity growth right now. You, you see some operators put out. I saw the other day someone had like 26, 27%. And they asked me to invest in it. I'm like, ah, shit, you're never seeing that. So, but then you see Brandon Turner, who's out there. I, you, know, you have to know who Brandon Turner is, right? Open Door Capital. He has the big beer, right? Yeah. The deal right now is like 14 to 16% annual rate of return, right? So that's what, that's the expectation. So if you get past that, awesome, right? But a Midwest market would do that for you. Yeah. And right now, people who have money, they're, I mean, at least like I know that we're like this. We don't want to put our money in the bank because I don't even trust the banks right now. So we're just looking for a place to put our money and not lose it. If we can make some money on it, great. We wanted to just be, have a good, so we're buying land and, and different things just to basically as a savings account that we know can't be taken from us. So definitely, if you show investors that you're being more conservative and that you are not going to lose their money. I think that's, I think that's go a long way. A long way. Hi, Ryan. Donato, Next. Donato, any comment? Any final thoughts? I agree. Uh, you know, there's a variety of investment vehicles each with their own benefits and their own drawbacks, whether they are rapidly appreciating your value versus more stable with the consistent cash flow, whether that's land. Or something that other added to the spectrum, like cryptocurrency, which is all speculation, all growth. Heard it here first, folks. Oh, don't bring there's, up crypto. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, the source of you know, the, the sanctity and 
maintenance of wealth has always been one of the biggest questions and hurdles that people have had to overcome for hundreds of years, trying to understand how can I make money and how can I keep it? And, and the, with the market we're in right now, being able to answer those questions as a reflection of what's actually going on builds trust with investors and anyone that can do that successfully is going to be able to have a business that can succeed in multiple market cycles. I have absolutely no patience and I want that fat, juicy acquisition fee right now. What are some ways you can get into a deal faster? Man, faster? The, the fastest way you can do it is, is with us. It's like we just raise money and we put it into a deal. We raise money from a couple of investors. A lot of people think they've got to raise a million. I think we raised 500 grand. What people want to see is they want to see that you, you can execute. That's what people want to see. All these people come in and say, hey, I had to do a million, two, three, five million dollars in raise. And then you don't hit it. What happened? Right? You lose credibility. I think one of the biggest things, and Lisa, you correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of in the network that we're in, people do the Thailand close, right? And yes. so we never went above what we couldn't do. And even to this day, I, I will never go, even to student, I'll never say, oh, a lot of people look at Thailand, Ryan, oh, you guys can raise so much money. We're just like everyone else, but we're just realistic with our expectations. Sure. I'm well, you, you came up incrementally, and I've told this to people, they, they don't believe that it wasn't always easy for you to raise money, but you were just like, not just like everyone else, but you, it was hard for you. Our first couple deals, it was hard. It was a lot of work, but you incrementally moved, you know, it was a couple million, three million. I remember your first $8 million raised, and you thought mm -hmm. that that was going to be really challenging, and you did it. And then we got to 12, and now you guys are, now you're one oh, class. That's awesome. Well, it's just like, you know, a lot of it is we, we had a lot of grind between us, right? Like failing was not an option, right? And, right. Um, and we always knew that there was a solution and we never lost our composure ever. And it was just like, all right, what, what do we need to do? And so we, literally we used to send these text messages out to black hole. Literally we'd send black holes out. Yes. And that was like, hey, hop on calls. And so, and we just communicated a lot back then, not a lot. And so it was amazing. We actually got to talk to Tyler like five times a day. Yeah. Now it's like you're lucky if you talk to him once a year, but five times a day, it was crazy. It was crazy, right? Back then. Yeah. And it's like maybe five times a year now, right? So yeah. it, it is the, the, the quickest way to, to get into a deal is, is really to raise, right? If you're going to go deal source, set proper expectations, right? A multi-family brought it. They set proper expectations, brought a deal. Here's where it at. Laid it right in the lap. Had a great executive summary. This is what we need from you guys. Done, right? They made our life simple and hopefully our feelings mutual, right? And so when you make it easy for your sponsors, it, it makes it easy for them to want to work for you as well. But the quickest way, man, raise three, four, five hundred, put it into a deal, get in, look and see how they're asset managing, look and see how they're operating, ask how you can help out. Get involved without, without expectation, all right, or, or receiving anything back. That's the best thing a quick sweep could do. It. Once again, if you could get 300 grand into a deal, get some GP help out, it would mean more to a broker being able to say, hey, listen, I did close the deal, right? Never once, I was on a broker call with a student once again. Never once did I say, oh, they said, hey, did you have you closed the deal? Answer was, yes, it's in this city. This is where we closed it. Never once did he say, oh, tell me about the deal. How many units was it? What's the purchase price? All he wanted to, did you close on a, you had to close on a deal yet? And they're like, yep, boom, next question, gone, right? So if you can put three, four, 500 grand into a deal, right? And, and great, we're not capital raisers, right? Right, no SEC attorneys on here, right? We're not capital raisers, you know? Bethany gave up on that. Gave up on that, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but really, the thing is, is if you get involved into the operations of it, right? I always laugh at that capital raising thing, though. It's, 
it just getting money and have the people disappear. You're crazy if you get money and disappear. You want to learn the business, understand the business, get on coaching calls, right? Ask your sponsor question. Don't be a pain in the ass on the Dave Lindahl you saw is that just don't be a pain in the ass. Yes. Uh, that's what I'd say, Adam, right? Is is the quickest, quickest, quickest way is to find a sponsor, ask how you can help them, let them know that you have four or five hundred grand. Or just really, I tell students all the time, tell me how much you can raise. Awesome. Come back to me in a week or two weeks. Tell me what you know, what, what you came up with. Just don't throw random numbers. It's funny, Lisa, I know you you experienced this. How much can you raise? And they'll tell you immediately what they can raise. Uh-huh. But, and if, like, I don't know if, you, if you're the same way, but I'm like, bullshit, right? Uh-huh. Bullshit. I always think bullshit. doesn't matter what they yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, okay, go put some thought into it. Tell me where you went to, where, where that source is. Did they say yes? What's the likelihood of them putting it in? Could you get it in 30 to 60 days, right? Answer those questions, come back. And guess what? The number they say, it's always 20, 30% of what they say originally, right? And, and I would say this. Always say a lesser number. If you know you can do a million, say I can do three, four, five hundred grand, right? So that you yes. hit that number. And the next time, guess who the first person they're going to call is? They're going to call you because you executed. It doesn't matter if it's a million or 300,000. You follow through with what you said you were going to do. Right, I 100% agree with everything you just said. But let's say the student is not in into money raising. Maybe that's not their niche or that's not something that they want to do. The other fastest way would be finding the deal. Yep. And that's, that's what we did. And if you find a deal that works, you're going to have to make sure you have a good underwriter that underwrites a lot of deals because it takes a lot to find the right deal. And that would most deal, likely take, not also most likely take a lot of time building relationships with the brokers that will bring you those lucrative deals. It does. So you've got to build relationships with people that you're raising money from as well. Yeah. So it kind of depends on where you, where you are, what you were thinking that you were going to be doing, but. And if you could do creative financing, if you've got some experience with that, but that's the other way to do it. I always, I always say that ways to get into it, become a deal, to become a GP on a deal is find the deal or find the money. If you could do both, that's great. That's even better. But it's funny. It's I'm, I'm going to get a shot in the foot here, right? I'm going to shoot myself in the foot, right? Because we, we talk about sponsors all the time, right? And, and granted, you need sponsors when you get into bigger deals. But I'm going I'm to contradict ourselves for a little bit. Lisa will laugh at this one. Right. The reality is people go, oh, I can't find a sponsor. Right. You can find deals, but I can't find a sponsor. So go get a 20, 30 unit deal and do some creative financing. So like, we did. You don't need a sponsor at that point. Right. right? I, I, it is. You know, Inky Johnson, what do you say at this, at this last one here from my phone? He said, is the drive man. What do you say, Pete? You guys remember more than me. I've been, I, I, I know what you're saying, but I don't know how to say it. But that's, that's, what, that's what Quattro did, too. They didn't, they didn't go and get other sponsors. They pulled together and were able to qualify for small deals by themselves. He said, let it take, yeah. your, let, let it take your life before you're dry, right? So if it's important enough to get into a deal and you can't find something, great. Find another alternative. Go get that 20, 30 unit deal. Get seller financing. There's a lot of old people out there, man. They, they don't necessarily want to sell it because their kids, their kids don't want to take the property over. So maybe they'll do that or they don't want to pay taxes. There's a lot of reasons why someone would do seller financing. That's exactly right. Especially in this kind of a market. Oh, man. Think about it. If you sell it, now you got to pay taxes on it. If you could go in and, and what are interest rates at right now? Anywhere between 5.5% and 9%? Then when you're getting a bridge debt? Think about that, man. You could go out and, and if you sold your property, these, these, these sellers could charge 7 8%. That's damn good money, man. You go to, you go to Chase, you go to a bank right now, and you, any kind of mutual player, there's about 10%. 
right? I mean, the, the market's at about 10%. That's kind of about aggressive. It's like 10.3% is what they offered me the other day. That's the 10 year, right? I mean, you go to a seller, you don't have to pay taxes yeah. and you get 8%. Oh, sign me up. Whereas that's the thing is a lot of sellers that are, they're sitting on all this money, they don't realize it. They just, they see the problem and they try to figure out what to do. And if you can come in with the solution, and actually tell them that they can make money without having to do anything. You could you could definitely create a win-win scenario. You just have to look for it. Oh, yes. But the thing is, is, is can you go find deals like the old man, man? I mean, these people that owe, like own these deals forever, right? They own them forever and they just want to get rid right. of them. And a lot of them own them free and clear, you know? So it just makes sense to them. I mean, you own a free and clear, you own it for 20, 30 years. You're going to get hit, hit heavy with capital gains, right? They don't want to do yeah. that. That's one thing I did learn from Lisa, right? Is like, there's a solution to everything, right? There's a solution to everything that you have. It's just taking a step back, not letting your emotions get in the way and going, all right, how bad do I want it? If I want it bad enough, I'll find that solution. Yep, and having, good, having good partners also that can kind of come together and figure out here's what our problems are and coming up with ideas. That's helpful too. How often should you be submitting offers? Oh man, this is a tricky one, right? This is a tricky one. I was just having this conversation the other day with someone. So we would tell you in, in our network, right? We'd say, submit two offers a week, I think is what we say, right? But there's strategy behind it, okay? Now, if you're going to submit offers and you don't have any intent of, of closing or you don't have a game plan to close, what does that do for your brand? What does that do for your name, right? Let's say all of a sudden they say, sweet, you have a deal, the deal works, but you haven't done the, your your back-end stuff, right? You haven't gone and found a sponsor. You haven't found capital raisers. Lisa, how quick do they move on if you don't give them an answer? Two, three days? They're the next person, right? But, not, even, not even that long. Yeah, not even that long. They don't care, right? right. And, and so I, I say this, man. If you're going to go out and you're just going to throw out offers for experience, throw it out into South Dakota. Well, South Dakota's not a bad marketing market. <laughs> Somewhere where it's California. not going to get accepted, basically. I know, right? California, right? You're going to put it, yeah, exactly. California, 100%. You're going to put it into those markets and you just don't, you're never going to do business in. So do you get that experience, right? And then, right, have a game plan and then go into markets that you want to go into, right? Use Bright Investor, get your market research and understand what your market could do for you, right? And that's, I mean, that's the benefit of having software. It's expedites the process. Right. So kill a product where you guys are doing it and putting it out there to make things easier for people. Right. And so the thing is, is once you get established in the market, you understand the criteria. Right. You understand your criteria, your sponsor criteria, a lender's criteria. Then go to those start making offers. But put kind of everything together. Everyone says, you know, I look at deals or raise money. I like Tyler says, I'll do both at the same time. Lisa, Lisa and Greg, you guys were phenomenal operations, finding deals, all that, right? They brought us in to raise it originally. I didn't know shit about operation, right? I mean, you probably laugh at it. I didn't know. Here's the thing. I knew like the, the work I used to frame and, and sheetrock and, and, and do that stuff, but not Lisa and Greg just had that experience. I, yeah, but listen, I always ask questions to Lisa. Why this? How'd you do this? And, and I would pay attention. Now, I mean, I still don't know as much as Lisa. But I've caught on. Now I'm just an asshole. But, but, but I know enough to know what happens or why you should do certain things, right? But Lisa and Greg did it the right way. They partnered with people that for Tyler and I, it was easier to raise money. Lisa could have went and raised money. But her focus was finding good deals and operating those deals so you get returns, right? 
our focus was solely, solely just raising money. Lisa would always say, I don't care what you guys do. Just go focus on that. Go focus on, I got everything else. You just go raise the money. And so, but Lisa and I, we, we never submitted crazy amount of offers. Now, expectations with the broker, right? This is what specifically it looks for. Well, yeah, but I mean, we got, we were at a point also where our relationships were good enough and I would tell the broker, we get this deal, it's done, it's closed. And the brokers just knew it. They knew that once they chose us, then it was done. If you can get that kind of reputation, it goes, I mean, it, that is success right there. But here's the thing, people want to do business with people they like too. I know that I, I remember coming out to Chile's with you guys in the Carolinas and, and going out with Nate, right? And you guys were extremely likable, right? And people want to do business with people they like. It just makes yeah. the transactions simple, smooth. And that's, believe it or not, that's what brokers want. They don't want you to be a pain in the ass, right? They just want a simple right. process and know that you can close. Yeah. Well, and they, and they want to know where they stand and they want to know that you're going to be honest and have integrity. So I see a lot of buyers that are just, they feel like they're playing games, that they're playing games with, the, with everything. You know, that they come in and they will get the best offer just to get the deal and, and take it out the market. And then they come in and they're retrading and they're going back on their word on certain things or they're disappearing where the broker can't get a hold of them. Those are things that I hear brokers talk about how frustrating it is. And it's great because that's most of our competition was doing that. And if you're not like that, I mean, you're already going to be ahead. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for us at AMF, you know, before we did our first deal, we looked at like 96 or 98. We probably offered on less than 10 of them. You know, it wasn't necessarily spinning out as many pieces of paper as possible to see which noodle stood to the fridge. It was very calculated and we talked a lot about it, but phase two infrastructure, like you put it, Ryan, what's your closing plan? Like, let's say the broker calls you and says your offer got accepted. Great. What's next? And if you don't have that plan built out, you're setting yourself up to fail and degrading your brand's credibility. But if you can say, hey, I did the work with the sponsor or I'm doing a smaller deal and I've already put in the plan with my the joint venture partnership to be able to take the next steps to close this thing, you start building this reputation of being able to be someone who could be taken at the face value of their words because you know they're going to follow through the back end. And so we specifically looked at deals over and over again that didn't work out, hyper folks of which one was offered on. So yeah, it was a lot of work that ended up not paying out until it did. And when it did, right. we had the systems in place to be able to take it down. And that compounded is to the success that we're seeing now. But all the ones that you didn't do, though, you learned. You learned, okay, well, that didn't work. I'm not going to do it that way. Or let's try it this exactly. way. So you do learn from every time. And you don't realize the, the progress that you make until you get one. And then, you're, and then you look back and, well, and realize all that work that you put into it. And it was worth it. Especially you know? the executive yeah. summary that Ryan talked about. First couple of times bringing a deal to you guys. You're like, oh, this, all this information is great. But can you make it less? Yeah, I like his 20 pages from the DOD or something. I mean, that's what I said. You condense that into one page, one or two pages with pictures. Yes. That's what I like to see. And that's what we did. So like, all right, well, one or two page. And then eventually it was like, all right, I already know know, Adam and Greg and Eric and Lisa are going to ask these questions. I'm going to put those things bulleted on this list already with photos. They can take it and they can list it in two seconds and no. That's that kind of actually application of the lessons you learn that actually equates to improvement over time. So like when you give feedback like that to a team like ours, and hopefully any student that you're talking to, they need to be able to, I think really it's a measure of a good student or a measure of someone who's actually going to go the distance is that they can get that feedback 
apply it. And the next time you engage with them, you kind of see that like, oh, you, you changed how you were doing things based off the experience you had on this journey. You're adapting, you're evolving, and that's actual tangible growth. And you're showing that you have integrity. I just realized mm. we haven't been saying, we're supposed to throw the word in there, oh, Ryan, you said it a few times. A few times. Oh, I did on accident. It's been out there. But yeah, if you can get a sponsor to like and commit to you, that's what happened with us. We got our offer accepted right after Lisa was the only sponsor I talked to that was like, yeah, I'm making a commitment to work with your team and not just kind of blowing us off, which I will always be so grateful. Ryan is the one that helped us find a sponsor that would commit to work with us but before that mm-hmm. it was just like oh yeah come back later come back later and i'm kind of glad none of our offers got accepted because we would have been scrambling around so hard especially right now with people either not buying or tightening up their criteria i wouldn't want to be in that position right now to submit an offer without having the backing of a sponsor and then you have to back out and that affects your broker relationship and everything. So, yeah. It's interesting that it, it's, as you both say that, right, is you never want to have, oh shit moments in business, right? I just, you, you just don't, right? I, I look and see your bright investor in, in the background there, you know, and, and I sit here and think, how many of you guys are serious about your business? How many of you really know your market, right? Some people go, hey, do I need to spend the money or am I going to guess, right? No, when, when you do have software like, like a bright investor, right? You're able to go out there and know when you talk to investors, you talk to brokers. Brokers want to know that you know the market, right? The investors want to know that you know the market, what's going on. So don't guess at it, right? People get into this business and it, and it just intrigues me that like they look at you, your one of your first questions was like, why 100 units over 1,000 units? And, it, and it's like, man, you want to own a business. I mean, Lisa, like you, we own businesses, right? Like we yeah. own businesses, right? That's a business. And so the thing is you don't shortcut. Like I remember when we, when we go, all right, all right, we've got the investor relations software. It's not even a, all right, Hey, how are we splitting it up on the other properties? And they're going to pay for it. You know, Lisa never came back to me and said, oh, what's going to happen? No, like, listen, you pay for a software to get you further ahead to help you out, man. Yeah. And so run your business like a business. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very true. And having a strong foundation is very, very important. So when we were starting, I'll say this really quick, Adam, when we were starting and we did smaller properties and smaller properties, and we did several before we did over hundred units, we were building a strong foundation and I would look around and I was very jealous of the people who were doing hundred units plus all the time, very jealous of them. But it got to a point where we started to grow our business. We started building our relationships, hundred units, hundred units plus and getting big. Then I went back and I saw a lot of those students at the Dave Landell. I saw a lot of those students who grew really fast, ended up not doing so well. And we ended up bypassing them. So take your time. This is not a race. And, and do this in your own pace. It depends on, again, do you have the sponsor set up? Do you have the group all set up? If you don't, then go a different route. Go smaller and then work your way up. And then you probably will end up with those people that you need. You'll find the people that you need. Like when we met Ryan, remember when we met you, Ryan, we had deals in the Carolinas. You were looking for deals in the Carolinas. We were looking for money and you had money. Where's the city we first met? Atlanta. Yeah. I got a hot Atlanta, huh? You know, it's cool. Yes. I was not even supposed to be there. No. And and we didn't even want to go. We were trying to just help out a friend and that was definitely the best. 
I remember sitting down. Best meeting ever. We were like, I, I still remember the situation because I was like, man, that's messed up, man. I remember that. I remember that. It's, you too. You know, what's interesting though is one of the questions you asked is, is market and competition in today's, in, in, in today's uh, market, right? I, I believe is what the question was. And, and Lisa, I think you would agree with me on this is it's okay to be selective in today's market. So many people want to go take down two, three deals. Let's say you want to take down a thousand. You're brand new, probably not the smartest idea in today's, in today's market. If you could get two deals, right? Or even one deal and get, get ahead. I mean, let's say you do the one deal and you get a hundred grand in acquisition fee. Could that make you last while you get your foundation underneath you? Right? So. That's what's crazy, man. It's these people, like you said, it, by even saying that, it, it did, it cracks me up, man, that it does really sad, really, that people grew too fast and now they're out of the business. Yeah. I, I've seen that. I, I've seen several people that grew too fast and all it takes is one or one or two deals going south and you're done, right? Done. I mean, look at, look at that group that just lost their deals in Houston, right? Yep. Done, right? Done. They may bounce back from it, but it'll, it'll be a while. Those people lost their like 200 units. There's a CapEx issue, but... Here's like, you could, you could want a deal so bad because you're looking at acquisition fees that, man, if that's what you're looking at and you bypass, I mean, Donato, you, you do underwriting, man. I mean, you bypass one or two numbers, you're screwed. Yeah, it doesn't take much to, you know, when you're looking at your rent premiums, it looks your, your CapEx, what your, rent, what your you know, renovations have to be. You have a massive portfolio of 3,200 units and you underestimate your unit renovation costs like $1,000 a door. Oh my God. All of a sudden, that compound that's, across that's that's 30, a lot like to take on. Million dollars. Yeah. I wouldn't even take. I wouldn't take on that much all at one time. That's a lot. But the the more the bigger the deal and the more risky, more risk that you're taking on, I think the it's crucial. The more crucial it is for you to have experience with you. So you've got to be working with experience, working with sponsors. And again, if you don't want to do that, then do smaller deals. That's a lot. It's easier to bounce back on a 20 or 30 unit. You lose it or you lose some money or whatever. I mean, you could take over a property and have all the numbers completely wrong, but it was 30. We did this on 29 units, took it over and none of the tenants were paying rent. I had to go in and evict every single one of the tenants, but I could do that because it's 29 units. I mean, it wasn't easy, but I could do that. I couldn't do that on a hundred units. 200 blast rush. Yeah, or 200 units. So if you keep it small, then you actually, you can, you don't have to have the experience to figure it out. Well, Ryan, you taught us about the CapEx budget. And as you were talking about how people don't put enough money in CapEx, we ended up buying a property off of a group that had only been in the business about a year. And that's why they lost or had to sell the property. They didn't have enough money to, to do the fixing up that they said that they were going to do. And I think that that happens a lot of times. So we learned that you need more in your CapEx budget rather than less. Be Yeah, definitely. You definitely don't want to be, you don't want to be, yeah. You definitely don't want to be too low in your. Really the things that will be in today's market, especially with the rates going up or adjustable rate loans, right? Bridge debt if it's not fixed, right? So adjustable rates, CapEx and market rent growth. Once again, Understanding your market, right? And understanding how rent growths are, are working, forecasting out, seeing how those are changing, right? I, those are the top thing, three things that are going to kill you on a deal. How about taxes, taxes and insurance and underestimating? Insurance will kill you too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, did you see that? The house is passing in Texas. It's a 5% cap on valuation. So I'm hoping that they're going to backdate it in Texas. But if you haven't seen the article, I'll send you the article. But it just happened last week. I think it was 
no, it was like maybe 10 days ago or so, seven days ago. But the house is meeting in Texas on creating a cap in Texas because of what happened. I mean, it's not 40 plus percent. So I'm hoping they'll back. That would be amazing. That's oh, some okay. useful information. It's useful. Is it, so Very much. 5% per reassessment period? Yeah. So let me see this. Wow. For those listening, to, dude. I'll send you right after this call. I'll send you. They, they need to stop reassessing every year. In North Carolina, it's every four, six, eight years, depending on the county. That was so much better. Well, yeah. I mean, shoot, it's going to kill you. lose a property, it's going to kill it, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Plus, look at the jobs that we create, the other taxes we pay. I mean, the reality yeah. is, if you lose business, man. And what happens? People don't buy properties, they'll take care of properties. Valuations go down, you know, in terms of landlord. Anyway, yeah, I was super, super excited about that news. So I hope it's sure. retroactive, right? I mean, I've, Texas economy has been amazing oh. because all the investors are are constantly wanting to buy there. Yeah. I mean, look at this. I, mean, I know you got, are, a lot of people are looking outside of Texas right now, but they yeah. just can't afford it. I mean, that's just, it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, good information. I mean, the markets and the governments and localities that choose to incentivize investment are going to be the ones that benefit over the five to 10 years, even longer time frame. Those who want to reward people to come in and do that kind of work will reap the benefits. And those who choose to not incentivize those things will also reap the benefits or lack thereof. I mean, it's taxes. Taxes get like, capped at 5%. Like California and New York. I mean, yeah. I mean, part of the, what we've seen in the last couple of years when it comes to this migration of people and you know, reshuffling a lot of factors there. I mean, you have COVID pandemic. People are reassessing what priorities are for them. Yeah, proliferation of working from home. People realize they may want to live somewhere else or more space. And then you also have people realizing I can earn more money by working from one place and living in another. And recognize sure. that you don't have to be locked in geospatially or physically into where you are economically. So you have yeah. hundreds of, you can check the U-Haul metrics on this. You can check population growth in every other state. But people leave California because they no longer have to be tied there to earn the California dollars. They'll be tied there and take those large nest eggs that have accumulated over their careers working in Silicon Valley or what have you. And even if it's a regular job, maybe a high school teacher working in Rural Minnesota, it's going to make less than a high school teacher in California, by and large, exceptions. When, when you have this accumulation of wealth in that state that no longer has to stay there, they go somewhere else, all of a sudden you have a state going, well, what do we do now? Well, other options are open. Other markets are open. Other states are open for business. And so what we have is this perfect storm of people reassessing their values, realizing that there's other things that they can, other things they can buy understanding what, what a dollar means and where it can go. You know, and Texas for a while was very you know, bullish on helping people see that this is a place they can park their funds. If they choose to enact legislation that helps that, they'll continue to be a place where companies relocate, you know, out of Austin becoming the new Silicon Valley and continuing to see more and more growth in those areas. But it'll be a competition for sure for I think another five, really five to 10 years as we see people who are fully going to reset, resettle and kind of change the demographics of the United States. We'll see which markets. And typically those are Texas, like where I was talking about, Texas, Florida, North Carolina, places that have been gobbling up new citizens because they prioritize the things that don't matter to the people who are moving there, which is economic stability. Word. 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 There you go. I got stuck into just basically, man. That was a big one. Just come from. I was going to write it uh, down. I've never heard that word before. No, I got it. That's just, that's just the name of the, where I work, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. 
So I, I had that words in my head all day long. Don't, don't give me too much credit the for that one. The big secret. Nobody knew that before. Yeah. Big secret, yeah. Okay. I'd hate, to, I'd hate to black bag you. You guys seem like great people. No, I don't want to call the FBI on it. I'm going to move on to the trivia questions. Oh, boy. You're going to ask if we have any final thoughts? Do you have any final thoughts? I like Ryan's shirt. Thank you. That's my thought. shirt. I like the background, too. I do, too. Very yes. regal. Does is it an MFCP or an MFM? I see the M. MF, yeah. CP, MFCP, yeah, MFCP. Yeah. Okay, I see. Are you ready for the commercial multifamily lion's den? Trivia Yeah, let's do it. Hey Ryan, you have a cigar? I was gonna say something inappropriate, so I'll uh, no, I call <laughs> my my guy, yes. Mm. All right. Trivia, huh? Let's go. Let's get it. I suck at trivia, but hey. So we all suck. We all do. Yeah. Trust me, this is not going to be a He gets our okay. time. Okay, sometimes. That's a clue. I'll keep score. Question number one. According to FloridaRealtors.org, what was the median sales price for a home in Florida reported in quarter one, 2023? Oh, Ryan lives there. Unfair. I'm sure he did that on purpose. 265, uh, is that what you said? I like biased questions. Nine. 269. You said median, not average? Median, yeah. Oh, you got a lot in North Florida. Average is definitely different. Be the, uh, that, seems, that seems low. No, I, th I think 573. I'm, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a solid 315. Solid 315. 400,000. I'll say 450. Three sixteen five hundred. It's not stupid. It's it's oh, like, Ryan, you actually were closer to your first guess. Damn it. Ooh. <laughs> I think, I think your answer was closer happens. to the average. The average was like a hundred thousand more. Okay. All right, all right. We got close. I'll take that. Hands, right? So four fifty. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. All right, okay, so right Denali on gets one. Denali Question number two. According to moneycrashers.com, as of 2021, which state has the most banks? New York. They're the biggest banks. So the biggest. Maybe not the most. Most banks, huh? Yeah, most. Florida. I want to say population tie, but I'm, I'm not sure how strong I want to walk over that. I'll, I'll stick with California. I was going to say about... Before New York, it's probably one of those. I'll stick with Cali. I'm not so sure. California is so big. I'm going to say Texas because of how big it is. Okay, that's a good one. The answer is Texas. Did oh, Ryan, oh. sir. Oh, Ryan didn't. Ryan, you didn't answer. Oh, you didn't. I'm Florida. Okay. From Florida. You said Florida. Florida. Oh, okay. And then so that. It's Texas with 375. Oh, wow. And the next four down, and this is in 2021, the next four down were Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Missouri. Wow. wow. I never would have guessed that. interesting. Uh, yeah. I had no idea. All Midwest. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe like in places where people are less 
concentrated in one area and more spread out. You need more banked locations just to service all those smaller towns. I can see that. Yeah, maybe just a lot more local banks instead of the big ones. Mm. According to moneycrashers.com, ever since the savings and loan crisis of the late 1980s, the number of banks in the U.S. has been diminishing. In 1986, there were 17,754 banks. And by 1995, that number had declined to 11,926. As of 2021, how many insured commercial banks are there? This, like, brands? Like, 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 like Wells Fargo, City, J.P. Morgan, those would all be different ones? Yeah, just brands. And not... Not just FDIC, like I think like 95% of them or more are FDIC, but there's a some that are in a different way. And also, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good number. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go down to 3,500. What'd you say, Ryan? 7,200. Okay. I'm going to say 6,000. The answer is 4,844. Hey, Donato. Cool. Wait, who got it? Five thousand. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You got that one. Only so they went from seventeen thousand to forty eight hundred in about forty years. Or thirty, forty years. Yeah. Jeez. It started declining. It started declining in nineteen eighty. I think it was like a there's a some sort of invest in multifamily. Uh, that's insane where those banks go. And you almost want to look at the banks that are left and see what are they doing differently or what is the they do wow. the other ones didn't. That's crazy it? stuff. You didn't you didn't let our guest win? He won the first one, didn't he? Oh wait, no, he didn't. He didn't get a state right. We always stack in favor of the guest. Always. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> We're gonna try it. He started with the Florida. It's because I'm out of fire. Yeah. It's cause, yeah. Cause we can fix that. We can send some problem? to you. Happy to do so. Right. Ryan, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was fun. It's going to be a very informative for the student. I hope so, man. I hope so. I think mean, that's the thing. I mean, you and I used to always talk about this. It's, dude, I don't think there's, there's, there's nothing that gives us more joy to see new people get into the industry, man, where right? I change their lives. Right. So it's, I mean, it's blessed my life. And, and years ago, I never thought that would happen, man. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Multifamily Lion's Den podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to leave us a like, subscribe, and share it with anyone you think can get value from today's episode. What conundrums are you facing? Let us know in the comments section below, and we'll get to it in a future episode. If you're interested in passively investing with us, you can go to am-multifamily.com, or you can email fee at am-multifamily.com. Those links will be in the show description, along with the Lion's Den Facebook page and website. Thank you, and have a boring day. Come on. That is awesome. Love it. Love it. <laughs>